I've been thinking and reading the book of Acts a lot this week, and also books about the book of Acts. Maybe you have been as well. I invited you to do that a couple of weeks ago, and you may be uh, about that. In my reading, combing through a commentary by F.F. F. Bruce, a distinguished Protestant biblical scholar, this week, I came across a story that he includes in his comments on this passage that we're studying this week, the healing of the cripple in Acts chapter 3. I chuckled when I read the story, and then I swallowed hard as I thought of myself and my church. The story was originally written by Cornelius Lepade. He was a famous Catholic priest and biblical scholar who lived a little bit later than Martin Luther, the late 1500s, early 1600s. And according to Cornelius Lepade, Thomas Aquinas, who was also a famous philosopher and biblical scholar, a theologian who lived a couple of centuries before Cornelius in the 1200s, Thomas Aquinas called on Pope Innocent II one day, according to the story, and as he visited, the Pope happened to be counting out a large sum of money. And he said to Thomas Aquinas, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And then Thomas replied, true, Holy Father, and neither can she now say, rise up and walk. F.F. Bruce did not record this story in his commentary on Acts as an indictment on the Catholic Church. Nor is it my intent by repeating it to disseminate anti-Catholic sentiment. But, as Bruce goes on to say, the moral of this tale may be pondered by any Christian body that enjoys a fair degree of temporal prosperity. That would be me and us. We're in the third week of our six-part series, our study of the book of Acts, and in these chapters, we are inspired with the story of the birth of God's church. So far, we've seen how the church, in chapter number one, waited expectantly for the Holy Spirit. They were neither uh, overly fretting over the future or worried grievously for what had been in the past. Rather, they were expectant, expectant as we ought to be, as we saw, believing God's promises, believing that he would fulfill, believing that he would do as he said, and watching for God and his ways rather than filling time and space with our ways. That's what we learned the first Sabbath on this series, the book of Acts. Then last week, we talked about the one essential of the church, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Nothing else really matters 
regarding the work of the church. God's church was birthed, not by human might, not by human power, but by God's Spirit. And the, the Spirit of God, when it was poured out at Pentecost, gifted the church with the Holy Spirit. And it was God's power moving in the church that brought birth to the church. And this power came because Jesus had been reinstated at the right hand of God. We looked at that last week. When he ascended to heaven, he had finished his atoning work on earth in our behalf, and in heaven his work was accepted, and all of the accusations against him by the accuser were, were repudiated, and so in his place again, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit was shown to be just and the justifier of all who have faith in Jesus Christ, all who believe. A couple of verse, a verse and a, and a quote that we used last week. Remember, Hebrews 1.3. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. This is talking about Jesus. This is what happened at his ascension. He was he took his place again beside the Father. Then again, the quote from the Acts of the Apostles, page 39, the Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was complete. I'm reiterating this now. You may be wondering why we're saying this again. Well, because I want to drill down a little bit right here, okay? I want to talk about this important point. The Holy Spirit was given as a coronation gift of God's goodness, not a reward for our goodness. That's important. He created the church, and he still creates us today. He's doing it in our midst. And the church is not about extravagant facade. It's not about extensive organization. It's not about an elaborate structure. The church isn't about impressive programming. The church today, village church here in College Place, the church around the world owes its existence to the Spirit of God. The Spirit brought birth to the church. That is our raison d'etre. I look forward to saying that word. I'm sure I didn't do it justice, but that's a great word, which means it's why we're here. It's how we're here. It's by the Spirit of God. Last week, I invited you to take a little emblem of this truth as you left the sanctuary. Uh, our good deacons offered it to you, and it was a small reminder of this truth. And this isn't the one that we gave you. I had more made and if you'd like another one, or if you didn't get one, they're at the information desk. And the reason why, it, you may think it kind of a funny little thing to carry around a slip of paper, but if I might just say for myself anyway, carrying it, feeling it in my pocket, knowing it was there, helped me to be reminded that it's the Holy Spirit indwelling my life that creates life for me. It's all about the Spirit of God. His power 
enables me, enables us to do church. His power enables us to do school, to do, to do church, to do family, to be, do community, to do life with kindness and justice and mercy. It reminded me, this little slip of paper that I carried around this last week with the dove on one side and the cross on the other. It reminded me that the kingdom of God is advanced in this world, in college place, in my life, not by mere human devising or human planning, not by leadership skills or human giftedness, The kingdom of God is advanced one way by the Spirit of God working through every believer of God for the glory of God. That's how. So if you didn't get one, pick one up at the information desk if you'd like and carry it around and let it remind you of this truth. Know as a church We can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. (laughs) We have a lot of that, don't we? We are indeed rich and lacking nothing. But as Thomas Aquinas said to Pope Leo II in the 13th century, we must also ponder the vacancy of these words, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. Now, I don't want to get all mixed up here, you know, because we can. We can kind of get lost in this, in this uh, journey because God is at work in this church, in this congregation, in the church worldwide in amazing and miraculous ways. He's at work in Africa. He's at work in Asia, in South America, Central America. He's at work here in Collie's Place, in your life. But the Bible displays accounts of God's creative life re-energizing power in ways that make us wonder at times. But those stories and the story that we studied this morning about the paralyzed man who walked is a sign. It's a story. It's a truth that illuminates an important point, and that is that the kingdom of God is intensely breaking in to our lives. It's a breaking in of the kingdom of God. God was showing himself in this incident with the the paralyzed man. God was showing himself as powerful to establish the authority and legitimacy of his church, of his people. It was, you could call it, a sign. Not merely a miracle, a sign. God was signing. He was signifying that through this and through other miracles that the church was the Spirit of God incarnate. That it was authoritative. That it was heaven established. That the Spirit of God was leading this people. So I don't think that we should go around moping, thinking that we're failures because we don't experience daily the supernatural interventions of God. No, I don't think that would be well for us to do at all. This intensity, this miraculous working is not normative for God's church throughout time. 
But I do wonder, I do wonder, maybe you have as well, whether there might be more miraculous, whether the Spirit of God might be on the move more if he were more embedded in me, reigning more prominently in my heart, in our hearts, in our church today. I wonder, you know, I wonder. So as we look at this story today, it's not with criticism of of what we are and who we are today, not at all, but I have to say it is with longing, longing in my heart, that we can be all that we can be by God's Spirit today. That's what I want. Because it's true, the church, God's church, is still the Spirit's church today. He's the one who gives us life. So we re- you remember from last week, Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church happened on Pentecost. The coming of the Spirit was the You could call it the inauguration of the Christian church. Thousands of people were added to the church that day. Thousands of people turned to Jesus Christ. And as the book of Acts, chapter 2 ends, Luke tells us in verses 42 to 46 that the believers, the church, this new group of thousands, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. So it wasn't just this one. There were many things happening in the church performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave it to the anyone that had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Wow, what a moment in history for the church. God at work and his people just excited about what God was doing. Every day, it says, they met together in the temple courts. These new believers gathered by the hundreds in the temple and other places because God was on the move through His Spirit and working wonders and signs through the apostles. Then Acts chapter 3, the very next chapter, Luke gives us a fuller account of one of these miraculous happenings. There were many, but this is one, the first account, the first miracle that happens at the hands of the disciples after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are on the way to the temple to attend prayer meeting. That's what happened. Each offering that was made in the temple, three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Those prayers accompanied the sacrifices. And they're headed up the stairs in the temple, leading to, through the outer court and going through the, what's called the court of the Gentiles. And as they pass by that, they see the beautiful gate. That's what it was called. Called that because of its exquisite, exquisite craftsmanship. It was maybe not made of the finest things that other gates were made of, but because of its beautiful carvings and ornate woodwork, it was called the beautiful gate. And there they saw at the beautiful gate, their progress was arrested by the sight of a crippled man that lay there begging outside the beautiful gate. Luke records the incident, Acts 3, 
2 to 5. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple uh, gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting something in return. The man was lame from birth, the Bible says. Forty years he had been, at least 40 years he had been lame. And for who knows how long, he had been carried day after day to this spot, to the gate beautiful, to beg for alms. He had come from the womb, a cripple. And he was laid daily at the beautiful gate because he couldn't go further than that. He couldn't. He wasn't allowed. And his hands were now outstretched for alms, but what he really desired in his heart was something more, something more than alms. His hands were reaching out for God. So it was here, in this spot, as I think of it, I'm not for sure about this, but Jesus did for sure, teach in the temple courts. And once John tells us about one of those teachings that Jesus had, whether it was in this, this exact spot or not, I'm not sure, but it was in the temple. And on one occasion, Jesus, in a spot likely near this anyway, a crowd gathered around him and he spoke these words. John chapter 10, 28, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them my eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus spoke these words. You look at it in the Gospel of John. You'll see he spoke these words in the temple court. Maybe it had been within the hearing of this paralytic. Maybe the paralytic was there that day. It says he was brought daily. Could it have been? And even if it was beyond his hearing, even if it was in a different spot. He had certainly heard the stories about this miracle worker, this Jesus, and he longed, he longed to be brought to him. He longed to be healed. But it was not to be, he figured, at least in this life, because Jesus' life ended. He learned that one day, being carried into the temple. He heard that Jesus had been crucified and the disappointment was overwhelming for this man, as I, as I think of it. He must have been devastated. His hopes for, were, for healing were gone. So now it's 50 days, two months maybe, after that, after that horrible disappointment. And his friends bring him again to the same spot, the beautiful gate. He's there because his friends bring him. You know, that's usually how it happens. Friends bring us. Today, friends bring us. Jesus saves, yes, but it's friends who bring us to Jesus. That's how it happened for me. Maybe it happened for you that way as well. And as Peter and John go into the temple, approaching the beautiful gate, they see this poor man, this paralytic, 
as everyone else sees passing by quickly, and they feel sympathy for him. And there he is pleading for alms, and I don't suppose that this man was paying all that much attention to Peter and John because his eyes were going this way and that way as he pled for money. But Peter and John focused their attention on him. That's what it says in Scripture. Peter looked straight at him, it says, Acts chapter 3, verse 4. And then he said, give me your attention. Give me your attention, he said to the beggar. Look at us. And the lame man stopped what he was doing, looking around at others, looking for a handout, expecting a handout. And he was about to receive something more valuable than the greatest gift he had ever gotten. That was about to happen. Something happened right then, right there, in Peter and John's heart, right then. The Pentecostal outpouring hadn't worn off. The Holy Spirit was impressing Peter. Those tongues of fire that brought the disciples miraculous language now was impressing Peter that this man needs, this man wants not just alms, he wants healing. And the Spirit urges Peter urges him that the beggar has faith to believe. And so Peter says these memorable words that are put to song, but I'll spare you my singing this morning. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, say it with me, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. And immediately the Bible says strength Divine strength coursed through his legs and into his mind. And he leaped to his feet and accompanied Peter and John into the temple where he never could have gone before because he was lame for prayer. But I don't think they made it very far. And I don't read that they made it for prayer meeting because as people saw this man jump up and leap, as they heard him shouting for joy and running like a kid. Can you imagine it? Everyone crowded in to see what was going on, what was happening here. And they heard Peter's second sermon. Read it this afternoon. Amazing sermon. It was powerful. It was powerful because proof was standing right there with him. Proof was there. Not not standing, I have to say. It was leaping. This man was leaping and bounding and running. Something never before had happened. Never before done was done by one of the disciples. It wasn't merely a miracle. It was a miracle. But it wasn't just a miracle. It was a sign It was an indicator that something had happened. Something radical had changed. Peter told the crowd what was going on. They were amazed at what had taken place. And he said that this is what's happened. Jesus, the one you had denied, that's what 
Peter says, Jesus, the one that you had consigned to death, Jesus, the one that you had agreed to hang on the cross, he was alive. He was raised from the dead. He had ascended to heaven, and he was now reigning with power in heaven. The the disciples, Peter, told the, the, the group, this man wasn't healed because I'm good. This, wasn't, this man wasn't healed because I have power. It was, he was healed by the author of life, Jesus Christ, who's alive. You put him to death in ignorance, Peter said. But he also said, that this miracle that they witnessed this day was their opportunity to fess up. <laughs> fess up. Acts 3, 19 and 20. Repent therefore, turn back and that your sins may be blotted out that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of God and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Peter preaches this miraculous healing of this beggar created quite a stir. And it's meant to create a stir in our hearts today. Not just for them, but for us. Because it's a sign for you. It's a sign for me that Christ still reigns in his church. That your sins and my sins can be blotted out that we may, like this man did, that we may experience, as Peter said, the times of refreshing. I love those words. The times of refreshing that Christ offers us. And those words, they summarize and, and, and represent the beauty and power that happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The times of refreshing, do you know them? Do you know that time? This lame man sitting helplessly in front of the beautiful gate, I can't help but feel like he's a symbol for us. Because that's sort of me. That's kind of like you. We're close. We're at the edge of the gate, the beautiful gate. And we're only an ask. We're only a prayer away. We are. But there still is a separation. It kind of reminds me a bit, and I didn't put it on a slide, I should have, but uh, it reminds me of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. You can remember the, the beauty of that painting, and in particular, I want you to recall in your mind the way the Michelangelo pictures God. You've seen it, I'm sure. I'll just describe it and it'll bring it back to your imagination again. God is reaching hard for Adam. He's reaching hard. He's extending himself as hard and as far as he can go for Adam. And Adam is sitting there. Do you remember the picture now? Adam is kind of like nonchalantly going like this. His hand is extended. And God's hand is almost touching, but Adam is sort of like this. And I can't help but feel that this Adam, nonchalant, relaxed, almost, it appears, uninterested, 
is sort of a snapshot of humanity. It is. We're struggling, we're paralyzed, we're in need, but we're amazingly indifferent, at least somewhat. God is near. The Holy Spirit is wooing, but it takes a yes from us. It takes a yes. It takes an agreement. It takes an admittance of need. It takes an acceptance of his help. That's what it takes. The gate is beautiful. What God has in store for us is marvelous. It's only beauty. It's only honor. It's only purpose. It's only integrity. It's everything that's important. He brought, wants to bring meaning and purpose to life. And, and, but, but we have to say yes. We have to accept. Without him, we're like that lame man sitting at the gate, beautiful. And like that lame man, I can't help but think that we're lame from birth too. We started with this problem. Every human being is infected with a fatal deficit. By nature, we are separated. By nature, we are apart from. And we are without hope, without God. That's the way we are. And like the beggar, we are desperate for help. But too often, we're looking this way and that way for all sorts of things. We're looking the wrong way in the wrong places for the wrong things. The beggar had his hands out for money because money would keep him alive for another day. But it would only perpetuate his real problem. And like the beggar, sometimes I think that all these things are what's important to me. You know, food and clothing and, and money and all those things. And those are important, but they're not the most important. They're not the greatest thing. And I don't mean to suggest that all these things, food, clothing, housing, all the rest, are not important. They are. But above all these things, more fundamental than even our most basic need is our need for God. Our need for God. Most of us here this morning are miles from this beggar's life and circumstances. We're miles from him. We have so much at our disposal, so many resources, and so many of us have good health in addition to it. But despite the appearances, despite our health, despite our resources, without God, we're a beggar. We're a lame beggar. And you know it. I know it. I know I need outside help. Almighty help. And that's why God helps. <laughs> that's why God offers. That's why he gave his spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. He's the one who brings life and light and wisdom and renewal. The beggar was only offered Jesus. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. He only had one thing to give. And that one thing that they had was all that really mattered. Just Jesus. And you know what? That's all we need too. Just Jesus. That's all we need. 
Because when we have Jesus, we've got everything else. <laughs> we've got everything. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. <clears throat> yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus brings saving grace. Yes to Jesus brings the Holy Spirit's overcoming power. Yes to Jesus brings God's wisdom. Yes to And I don't mean that there's nothing else in life. There is. But Jesus is first, isn't he? He's first. He is the author of life, as Peter said. <clears throat> and it was by faith in his name that this man, this beggar, was healed and it's by faith in his name that we are healed today would you say yes to him again this morning would you would you have him bless you with help and direction and power and everything else would you today this is a a special Sabbath in a lot of ways, but one of which is that um, we, during Sabbath school, we celebrated, we honored our veterans. Tomorrow, as you know, at the 11th hour, the 11th day of the 11th month, 100 years ago, bells rang all over the world. It was Armistice Day. The war was over. World War I had stopped. And the soldiers were coming home. You don't remember it because all of us weren't there. But bells across the globe will sound tomorrow. November 11th, 100 years after the signing of Armistice. And in honor of those who sacrificed their lives and achieved this historic moment of peace. In Sabbath school, here at Village Church, Dave Miller led out in a special service honoring our veterans. And if you're a veteran, I just want to say thank you and God bless you. We owe a deep gratitude to those who sacrificed and served and then, not just then, but now. And I want to thank personally the members of the armed forces and every other protective service that risk their life and limb for our freedom and safety. So, thank you. The horrors of World War I were momentous. People hoped, as H.G. Wells first expressed, that this would be the war that would end war. You know, that's what it went down as. But it didn't, did it. <laughs> it seems like there's a continuous barrage of tragedy and heartache it didn't end all wars it didn't end all problems this week we were reminded again in Thousand Oaks when a gunman went from a marine vet to a mass murderer we were reminded again from what's happening in Paradise California where an inferno has destroyed paradise that sounds almost contradictory doesn't it Paradise destroyed. And there's a thousand other places around the globe where hardship reigns. And not just this week, but last week. Just remembering the events. Worshippers at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And, and countless other incidents that remind us that peace 
is a gift of God. And it will not reign completely on earth until he reigns on earth. But until then, he invites you to believe. Like he did this lame man. He invites me to believe. And when we do, when I do, as happened for the beggar, a life-changing, life-rearranging miracle occurs every time you say yes to him. Faith in Jesus Christ gave that lame man life and health. And by saying yes to him today, it begins the time of refreshing for you. Time of refreshing. And just as with the miracle of this beggar, we become at that acceptance, we become miracle witnesses for God. That's what the beggar was. He was a sign, a miracle witness. Because you know, the greatest story ever told is what God did for us in Jesus Christ. But the second greatest story ever told is what God is doing for you in Jesus Christ. Every day for you, through thick and thin. Now you may be thinking this morning you have little to offer. You may be thinking today that you don't know enough to teach enough and that the church could be helped by someone else. But you know, If Jesus is in your heart and working through your life, that's enough. That's enough. I love the way that Ellen White puts it in Acts of the Apostles where she begins, the disciples of Christ had a deep sense of their own inefficiency. Yeah, they they thought, we're not enough, we can't do it. But with humiliation and prayer, they join their weakness to his God's strength, their ignorance to his wisdom, their unworthiness to his righteousness, their poverty to his exhaustless wealth. Thus strengthened and equipped, they hesitated not to press forward in service of the master. (laughs) Peter asked the beggar to do something impossible. But miraculous power made the impossible possible. It may be that the Spirit of God is urging you to do something that appears impossible. But it's not. Because the Spirit of God makes it possible. You may be facing impossible urges. You may be facing uncontrollable habits. You may face circumstances at work or at school or with family or with neighbors that seem to be beyond your resources. Doing this thing called Christianity to you today, following God and His Word, may appear to you impossible. It's not. It's not impossible. Because if you like the beggar, if you are willing to say yes to Jesus Christ, to say yes to him, and to make that first effort, huh? make that first effort to say yes, God will strengthen you. God will bless you. And all those promises of his word will become yes for you 
in Jesus Christ. He can give you help. He can give you strength. He can give you wisdom. He can give you provision that you never imagined. Beyond, beyond what you can imagine. That's what Paul said. Now to him is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That lame beggar became the first exhibit of God's amazing work through his church. May we be the final example. What do you say, church? Would you take this little token again? <laughs> or... Just remind yourself, not by human strength, not by human power, but by God's Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the goodness you give us in Jesus Christ, who begins for us this time of refreshing. We know that time. We know that time in our hearts. We know the joy. We know the peace. We know the hope you give us in Christ. And again, we say yes to you today. Send us now, we pray. As you sent Peter and John, as you sent that lame man, strengthened, invigorated, and living again and fresh as your witness, send us, Lord, I pray, into a world of darkness that we may bring honor to you and glory to you through Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.